God's not cheap. God's not cheap. And what's the significance of that? There's a whole lot of significance to it. But, but one thing that is really in my heart that I believe uh, that God wants to do and to accomplish through, through these messages is to change our thinking. Change our thinking. You know, you can have a, a, a way of thinking at one level and you got the Lord calling you up and saying, come up higher. You see, because when God said, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways, you know, we, we thought, you know, at first with our religious mindset that God was just trying to get a ruler out or a yardstick a real big multiple time yardstick to show us what a difference there was between little old us and him. But the real truth, and I believe this with all my heart, is that when God said, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways, he was drawn that distinction not to leave us there in our lowly old thoughts, but to give us an invitation to come on up to his way of thinking and his way of seeing things and his perspective on things, which is very, very different from ours. And we can have that perspective in Christ because we are seated together <laughs> with him in heavenly places. I'm getting happy already, y'all. We ain't even started. I'm happy already. So by being seated in heavenly places with Christ, like the Bible says you are as a believer, you are in a position to be able to have God's perspective on things. And so, we're going to go ahead and dig into this, and uh, we'll continue this in two weeks, like I said. Um, you can, you know, uh, you can talk about the, uh, the, the fact of uh, spiritual riches, natural riches, and all that. Uh, but, but here's the thing, what, what I believe I need to emphasize, and, and, and you, you know, um, uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure that I've done a message exactly like this before, so it's, it's different, but it's the word, it, is that we're going to go ahead and see that not just from the spiritual angle, but also from the, the natural angle, from the you know what this is? From the angle of mula, uh, dinero. Yes, as many languages as we can say it in, praise the Lord. When it comes to money, when it comes to natural wealth, God is not cheap. So this is just going to go ahead and uh, open our eyes to some pretty amazing things about God. Now, now one thing in laying this foundation, you got to understand that uh, there's been a whole lot said over the church ages about poverty and riches and so on, uh, where, where riches have been, in a sense, almost, uh, uh, how, how should I say it, looked down upon. And, 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 you know, that, that if you, if you uh, had stuff, you know, that, that, that you, you must have done something to get that, you know. Uh, and then poverty, in a sense, throughout the, the history has been almost glorified as a, a, a special spiritual status, you know. We, we've got even religions where they'll take a vow of poverty and 
thinking that, well, Jesus sent out his guys without anything. And so I'm going to go out there without anything too. The problem is, is they, they missed a very important conversation that Jesus had with them at the Last Supper. When he said, hey guys, remember when I sent you out without anything? Did you lack anything? And they said no. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> How is that possible? I sent you out there and said, don't take this, don't take this, don't take this. Did you lack anything? They said no. How is that possible? It's possible with God because, you know, God will hook you up with what you need wherever you are at the time you need it. We're talking about God here. Hallelujah. So I, I, I just want to go ahead and say some things about the, the mentality regarding uh, uh, riches or prosperity, whatever kind of word you want to use, and, and, and poverty, and, and some of the the, the wrong thoughts based on a faulty, or should I say an incomplete view of certain things that the Bible says that, that would seem at face value to insinuate, well, rich is bad, poor and poverty and lack is good. Uh, like, for instance, in, in Mary's uh, beautiful words that she spoke over in Luke chapter 1, what's commonly called the Magnificat, uh, or Magnificat, so I don't sound so catty, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, there's a word in there where she says that the rich he has sent empty away. And so you look at something like that, it's like, well, okay, what rich are in that category? All rich in that category? Some rich in that category? It's not real clear. But as you go on reading, she mentions this guy from the Old Testament named Abraham. Well, I got to tell you something about Abraham. Abraham was rich. So therefore, when you put, the, put it all together, you see that she was not putting all rich people into that category. Or all people that had means or possessions into that category. Because then she talked about Abraham and she said, well, Abraham's all right. So, so therefore, the, what the Bible was saying about the rich was a reference to people that were wicked and rich and not people that were righteous and rich. You see that? Another thing, uh, over in James, you see James making a reference to uh, the rich are oppressing you and dragging you into court and blaspheming the noble name by which you've been called. You say, man, that, that sounds awful. Man, those rich people must be bad. But is that talking about all rich people? Do all rich people do that? Well, obviously not because James also goes on to talk about two guys with deep pockets in the Old Testament that he mentions in his little five-chapter book known as the Epistle of James. He talks about Abraham. But he also talks about Job. These guys were rich. Why were they rich? Because God's not cheap. Hallelujah. But, but, but you see this, that you need to read the Bible carefully to not get an impression that is not an accurate impression. Now, the Bible does have lots to say to warn you about covetousness and the love of money yet it's not money itself that's the root of all evil it is the love of money that's the root of all evil 
You with me on that? So rightly dividing the word and taking everything that the word says. So you see, you take that little portions there. You say, oh, yeah, no, rich, rich people are bad. Riches must be bad too. We'll stay away from that. But then you keep on reading and you, they start mentioning these rich guys from the Old Testament. So wait a minute. That's a, that's a cause for a pause right there. Because... Uh, if they were all bad, they wouldn't be talking good about these guys. So we're just burning some gray matter here. So, so that's not all rich people lumped into the same category. There's a distinction between people that have gotten riches by ill means and, and by, by deceitful means and, and by stepping over people to climb the ladder. And there's people that have gotten things the right way. You know, there's two distinct ways by which you can prosper financially. One is called the love of money. And the Bible says that those that have sought after that, 1 Timothy chapter 6 says, they have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Yeah, they might have got some money. But, but you know what? They got a marriage on the rocks. Their children ain't talking to them. Uh, and, and any friends they had, they already stepped on those friends trying to get the money because of the love of money. So they pierced themselves through with a whole lot of sorrow. But then the book of Proverbs talks about the blessing of the Lord that makes rich and adds no sorrow with it. So I'd say to you tonight, how do you take your riches? With or without sorrow? I'll take mine without the sorrow. Hey, Hallelujah. I'm going God's way. And you know, sometimes when you go God's way, it is uh, more the crock pot than the microwave. Hey, <laughs> you, you know, you, you, you want instant this and instant that. God usually does not do instant stuff. But I'll tell you what, when you're slow and steady in, in God's slow cooker and getting tender and tender by the day, oh Lord, and the meat's falling off the bones, and mm, it smells good in God's kitchen. Because you're cooking all the way until you hear the words, well done. Hallelujah. Hey, hey. Oh, I couldn't resist. All right. But let's see, we're going to talk about several things. We probably won't be able to reach them all tonight. But between uh, today and uh, uh, two weeks from now, we'll be able to hit them. But, but four things that will reveal to us the fact that God's not cheap is, first of all, his character. What he's like, his character. Uh, secondly, his culture. You know, there, there's a culture in heaven. There's, there's a culture around God. A way that God does things, a way that the kingdom of heaven does things. And so you will see that truth from God's culture. You, you will see that in God's creation, and you also see that in God's covenant. Hallelujah. But I really believe that God's going to help to adjust some of our ways of thinking. And you know what the ultimate goal is? Can I tell you what the ultimate goal of the message? Not just for you to realize that God's not cheap. But for you, for you to have the revelation that, hey, if God's not cheap, then I'm not going to be cheap either. That is the ultimate goal. We're talking generosity. Hallelujah. 
where we, you, you know, uh, the, I, I have my own little paraphrase of a verse in Proverbs, uh, and, and it goes like this. This is my paraphrase. You hold on to what's in your hand, you get poor. You let go of what's in your hand, you get more. Oh, somebody need to hear me tonight. You hold on to what's in your hand, you get poor. You let go of what's in your hand, you get more. Hallelujah. And I'll tell you what, there's something about generosity. And I want you to get bit with a generous bug in, in, in these times together. You, you know, I, I, there's joy in giving. I got to tell you, uh, th- there's been uh, several times in these last few years where, you know, uh, uh, when, when my wife and I uh, have the opportunity, uh, my little girl and her and I uh, will do Saturday morning breakfast out at our favorite little spot. Oh, praise the Lord. And, and, and we, we, we like breakfast, you know. Uh, so some famous doctor said a few weeks ago that you, you know, you shouldn't eat breakfast anymore. I, I, I put my hand to the TV screen and said, the devil's a liar. <laughs> I like breakfast. I'll turn down dinner before, but don't mess with breakfast. <laughs> and uh, I got to tell you, uh, uh, I can see those moments when we're there and my wife gets this sparkle in her eyes. I, I call it the giving sparkle. I know somebody in the house going to get blessed, whether it's the, the police officer at the counter or, or, or the, 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 the gentleman who just kind of walked in by himself, was sitting in the corner eating by himself. I said, I know that look. And, and, and she's going to go ahead and, and, and you know, I, I'm not bragging on uh, any, anything we do. I mean, I'm bragging on my wife and the Lord right now. I mean, but, but I know that she's got this inside of her where, where, where she'll just go ahead and, and, and notice something and, and God will talk to her and it's just like that. And, and you know what? So sometimes it doesn't have to be this booming voice or riding in the sky. It's just, she said, I got to do something about that. And she does it and praise the Lord. What a blessing. What a blessing to be generous. And you know what? You you know what's paying for that? Our grocery and gas money for the week. (laughs) But we we ain't worried about that. It's like, because if you hold on to what's in your hand, you get poor. But if you let go of what's in your hand, you get more. So it's like, oh Lord, I... (laughs) Those, those are my Doritos there, Lord, and my, and my this, my that, or, uh, uh, you know, whatever your, is on your grocery list. But, but I gotta tell you, there's something about just letting go and letting God have His way and touch somebody through you and let somebody experience the generosity of God through you. Woo! Because His name is El Shaddai and not El Chipo. Come on now. Hallelujah. Romans 8.32. I know it's there. I'll read it to you. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? 
You, you know, there's a guy that sits in that chair over there. That's his favorite verse in the Bible. You know who I'm talking about. Pastor John's favorite verse there. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? This displays the character of God. First Timothy six seventeen. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Oh, yeah. Someone say, God's not cheap. John 10, verse 10, the words of Jesus. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I've come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Ephesians 3.20. Woo! Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Now, the next verse, before you put it up, I want you to remember this. My, my catchy little saying to help remember this. Success is as easy as one, two, three. How many of you have ever heard someone say that and say, yeah, that's easy for you to say. But, but follow me here. Success is as easy as one, two, three. First Kings chapter two, verse three. Are you with me? One, two, three. First Kings chapter two, verse three. Keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. That you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. God just saying, you just do what I told you to do. And you will prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. And you can remember that the success is as easy as one, two, three, first Kings chapter two, verse three, that lock it in. Now, here's the thing, Ron, I'm going to pick on you tonight. I think that God's pretty smart and I think you're pretty smart too. So I think that if you did not want me to come to your house, you want to give me your address or directions. It makes sense, right? Like if you said, that Pastor Ray, I don't know about him. I need to keep him away. Well, well then you're not going to go ahead and tell me how to get there if you don't want me to get there. Well, I think God's that smart too. Where if God does not want you to go somewhere, he's not going to tell you how to get it. Which means the flip side of it, if he's telling you how to get something, he must be all right with him for you to have it. Otherwise, he wouldn't tell you how to get it. So therefore, it must be all right with God for you to prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. Because if it wasn't, he wouldn't have told you how. Woo, hallelujah. Do you see the character of God here? This is what he's like. This is his nature. This is how he works. Now, we're going to look at something really interesting here. This is um, the story of one of the uh, kings of Judah at the time 
when uh, Judah and Israel were split kingdoms. When Israel was the, the kingdom to the north that was largely off track and not doing things right. And, and Judah, the kingdom of Judah, to the south was at least sometimes getting it right. And this is about a, a, a king named King Amaziah. And actually what we'll do, we, I, I'm going to go ahead and set up the story, but, but I, I don't want to read all of it. When we get to that verse, we'll only look at verse 9 in the sound booth. So you can uh, leave out 5 through 8, and when, when I tell you, we'll go ahead and look at verse 9. But I want to go ahead and set up the story for you. King Amaziah was uh, 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 about to uh, go into battle, and... Uh, and, and so what, what he did is he hired an army from the, king, from the kingdom of Israel. Like I said, they were split at the time. Amaziah's the kingdom of Judah. He talks to the king of Israel to get an army from them and hires that army for what was a hundred talents of silver. And I mean, you know, just have a little fun after service and Google what that is in today's value. It's a lot of money. And so he does this just on his own, doesn't consult the Lord, doesn't pray about it. And then what happens is then a man of God comes to him and says, hey, king, don't let the army of Israel go with you because if you let them go with you, you're going to fall flat on your face. And when he hears that, and he already knows he makes, he's made a big investment. He says what we would say. But what about the money? So are you with me? So the king of Judah invests in an army in the king of Israel so that they could come and fight with him in a battle. And then finds out from the man of God after the fact, hey, you take those guys with you, you're going to totally fail. Investments already made, can't unscramble the eggs, can't get it back. And he says to the man of God, but what about the money? Verse 9, then Amaziah said to the man of God, but what shall we do about the hundred talents which I have given to the troops of Israel? And the man of God answered, the Lord is able to give you much more than this. I want that to sink in. Because we're talking about the character of God here. And this is God's character and God's heart towards a guy that should have consulted the Lord, consulted a man of God, should have prayed about his decision first before he just put the money out there. But instead he did what some of us have done and just put the money out there and then prayed. Did it backwards. But you see, God's mercy is this. You know what? Ain't nothing you can do to get that back. But if you follow me and go with me, <laughs> hey, if you, if, you, if you just leave that as a, a bad decision, a mistake, you repent and move on, learn from it, 
Know that, all right, next time I should pray and consult the man of God first before doing something like that. But then, you know, you just go ahead and keep on doing right and following me. You ain't going to miss that one bit. Because I, the Lord, am able to give you much more than that. Do you see that? That's God's heart. That's God's character. He's not cheap. He's generous. Let's go ahead and look further at his generosity. How does God treat his kids? What, what, what kind of uh, blessings is he uh, willing to provide for those who fear him? Psalm 112, we'll start with verse 1. It says, praise the Lord, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches will be in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Once again, somebody say it with me. God's not cheap. Hallelujah. So here, for God's kids who fear him and delight greatly in his commandments, their descendants will be mighty on the earth, their generation will be blessed, and wealth and riches will be in their house. Hallelujah. Now, talk about being blessed and uh, financially blessed. Think about the way that Job's story ends. Job was already what the Bible calls uh, in chapter one of his book, one of the greatest men in the East. Now, greatest doesn't mean, oh, Job, you're the greatest man. You're the man. Come on. Not that kind of greatest. It literally means that he's one of the richest, one of the wealthiest men in the East. And then loses it all. But then when you get to the end of the book and you think Job's whole life was just a mess. See, uh, some people think, well, I'm just another Job. Well, you know, if you're just another Job, get your little year of trial and tribulation over with and get on with the rest of your life. You know, the Bible says that after Job was restored and God blessed him and blessed him more than he was already blessed, he lived 140 years after that. So we, we think, you know, somehow subconsciously, and I think the devil helps this way of thinking, is to think that Job was just had a miserable life. No, Job had a miserable slice of his life. But the whole pie, with the exception of that slice, was real good. Hallelujah. Look at Job 42, verse 12. It says, Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. And here's the thing. You keep on reading, and we won't hear. But, but the, the Bible even says that Job had uh, uh, children. Once again, you see his children that he had had previously all died in one boom, one, one catastrophe. And, and, and it says about his daughters, and whoa, Said that there were none finer in the land 
No more good-looking women in the land than the daughters of Job. There was Jemima, not the syrup lady. Oh, come on. But if she did have a wrap on her head, she was looking good with the wrap, you know. And there was uh, Kasia or Kasia, better pronounced, and there was Karen Happock. I just like to memorize wild Bible names. Don't mind me. But, 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 but uh, they were the most beautiful in the land. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than the beginning. This was a happy ending for him. And besides that, this wasn't even the ending. Because like I said, he got to enjoy this blessing for 140 years of his life after that. Now. What was Job's net worth? You ever wonder about that? Well, somebody did some calculation. And, uh, you know, just uh, part of their calculation was to find out kind of the average of what a camel costs. If somebody were to buy one camel, what would a camel cost? And then to go ahead and uh, figure that out, because whatever a camel costs, it's 6,000 times that. And, and so th- this person that did some research, and I'm not saying that what they're saying is gospel here, but I mean, I, I could tell that, that they did some research into this. Said that, uh, that they said that in the possessions of his animals alone, Job would be worth around $56 million today. Hey. And he was righteous. And he feared God. Hallelujah. By the way, I, let me have a little fun with you. You know, Job and Lot, you know, Abraham's nephew, Job and Lot went into business in the state of Rhode Island. <laughs> so next time you go to Ocean State, Job, Lot, you know, I'm messing with you. All right. I was always looking for the right moment to use that. You know, it's one of those things you never even think about it. One day I'm driving in the parking lot, Job and Lot. Hey, revelation. (laughs) But how how many of you can see the the character of God in what we've seen here? That this is what he's like. This is how he is. you, You don't have to twist his arm or try to talk him into being this way. He already is this way. Now let's talk about the culture, the culture of the kingdom, the culture of our wonderful Heavenly Father. Well, go ahead and read this whole thing, John 12. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. You, you can go on now. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, 
but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial for the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. Now, Jesus gave commands concerning picking up the leftovers of the loaves and the fishes. Remember that? You know, after everybody was fed and filled and feeling good, ready for a nap, Jesus said, go ahead and pick up all the fragments so that nothing is wasted. So God's definitely not wasteful. However, understand something about the way that God thinks is God thinks in terms of both and rather than either or. Follow me with that because I I believe this is significant. Both and rather than either or. So in the mind of Judas, of course, I mean, we know what was really in his mind because the Bible tells us. But but even if he genuinely wanted to go ahead and take that and give that to the poor, uh, you, you know, uh, you, you would you would he, he would think, well, there's, you know, th- there's only enough to go ahead and take this and give it to the poor. There's not enough here to go ahead and give to the poor and have you go ahead and put what is equal to one year's wages and just pour that on Jesus. So you see, in the mind of Judas, it's like, well, we can't be doing both. We can't be pouring oil on Jesus and taking care of the poor. But God is a God of both and. Because as far as Jesus was concerned, he was not going to go ahead and deprive this woman of putting an extravagant gift into into him out of her love and devotion to him. And at the same time, Jesus not worried about taking care of the poor. He wasn't thinking, well, if I let her do this, we can't go ahead and keep our ministry to the poor going. Jesus was not even there at all because he wasn't thinking either or. He was thinking both and. Are you catching that? Because you see, the way God thinks, God don't think about running out. See, we think about running out. But when you have unlimited resources, you don't think about running out. And I'm not telling you not to budget. Lord, have mercy. You better budget. But the way that God thinks, I want you to go ahead and grasp something about the way God thinks. Which means that if the Lord is instructing you in a certain way, leading you in a certain way, you might think, well, I've got resources to go to here. And so, Lord, with what I've got to work with, I'll go ahead and do my best with what I've got here. But to, to go ahead and see this dream or vision or whatever it is that you've put in my heart, this is bigger than me. This goes further than me. And, Lord, if this is going to get done, we're going to have to go beyond my resources and dig into your resources. But the real truth of the matter is as one who is in covenant with him, if you are saying to him, what's mine is yours, God is also saying to you, what's mine is yours. 
which means as you have given God access to your resources, woo-wee, you have access to his resources of which there is no end. There's no end to what he's got. There, there, there's no ceiling. There's no cap on what he's got. You know what the Bible says uh, uh, about uh, Jesus? You know, in Isaiah where it prophesies, uh, for unto us a child is born and a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then it goes on to say that of the increase of his government and of his peace, of his shalom, there will be no end. So of the increase of his government and of his shalom, there will be no end. So think about this. You see, there's a lot of attention paid to the stock market in recent time. You know, it's going, 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 going. And then, you know, something happens in the world and the dip. It's going, going, going. Something else happens and then a dip. But, but I... If if you were to go ahead and look at uh, charts and graphs in, in God's business space, in God's conference room, every one of them would just look like this. And then the next page looked like this, and looked like this, and looked like this. Always going up, never dipping, because of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. Woo-wee. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. John 14, 2. Jesus started talking about what the other side looks like. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Hallelujah. So, so you see the idea of the way that the other side is. The kingdom of God where, where there is no, uh, no, no obstruction to what's going on. There, the, the, there, there ain't no, uh, 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 ain't no devil loose in the new Jerusalem, you know. I mean, the devil might be loose down here, but he's not loose there. Hallelujah. So, so in, 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 the, in the dwelling of God, in, in, the, in the city of God, in, in his presence, he, he's actually got construction going on with your name on it right now. Hallelujah. The Bible talks about heaven. The Bible talks about the, the, what the place is like. So we're talking about the, the culture, you know. Uh, you, you, you might say, well, you know, certain, uh, 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 certain countries have a certain kind of architecture, you know. And, and so, so I, I went here and they, they had this kind of style. And I went here and they had this kind of style to their building. Well, what, what, what kind of uh, style does God have going on? Revelation 21, start with verse 18. Talking about the city, it says, the construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, 
the third uh, Chalcedony, the fourth Emerald, the fifth Sardonyx, the, the sixth Sardius, the seventh Chrysolite, the eighth Beryl, the ninth Topaz, the tenth uh, Chrysoprase, the eleventh uh, Jacent, and the twelfth Amethyst. A whole lot of jewels going on. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. Those some big oysters, y'all. Hey! <laughs> And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. Hallelujah. Woo, God got some taste. Hey, hey. Now, what about the way that this manifested here on earth? And uh, I use for a source a a uh, website called templemount.org, templemount.org. And the, they had something in there regarding what they call uh, the treasures of the house of the Lord. And uh, wanted to go ahead and give some kind of estimation of the, the value of what was built to honor the Lord and what that would actually be in today's dollars. So the, the gold and the silver that was used for the tabernacle that Moses built would be worth over $13 million today. But the, that's, that's chump change when you compare it to Solomon's temple. Now you know that David, he wanted to go ahead and do it himself, but the Lord made him aware. He said, you got too much blood on your hands. You're not the right one to build the temple, but, but your son will do it. But you know what David did get to do before he died? Woo, boy, he was given in the offering. I mean, you know, he, he, he had, you know, uh, uh, we, we've got these baskets going by. I mean, the, David needed more than a basket to put his offering in. Let me tell you. He needed storehouses to put his offering in because he had stuff laid up and he gave it to, to the building of the temple. So Solomon's temple. The, the estimated worth is about $56 billion. $56 billion. How can that be? Very simple. God's not cheap. And neither were his servants. Because a big portion of that was given by King David himself, the man after God's own heart. Hallelujah. Before we wrap up tonight, let's go ahead and deal with the fact that we see that God's not cheap through his creation. So uh, there's one astrophysicist who came up with a calculation for valuing planet Earth. And I'm not quoting this like gospel. But I got to tell you, it'll give you some kind of idea. When you consider all the resources uh, of the Earth, I'm not even sure if he's got a lowball figure on this. But he estimated that the, the earth is worth 
five quadrillion dollars. Quadrillion is the, the next one after trillion. So you got trillions, then you've got tens of trillions, and then you've got hundreds of trillions, and then once you get up to 999 trillion, 999 billion, 999 million, 999,999 dollars and 99 cents, no, zero cents, no, 99 cents, all right, we're having fun. What's the next one? That would be one quadrillion. And so he placed what would he considered the value of planet Earth at five quadrillion dollars. Psalm 104, verse 24, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. This great and wide sea in which are innumerable teeming things, living things, both small and great. What an amazing place that we live in, full of abundant resource. Psalm 50, verse 10, For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. Psalm 24, verse 1, The earth is the Lord's, and all its fullness. It's full of stuff. <laughs> the, the world and those who dwell therein. So here we see the, these references to, to what God has graciously and generously deposited into creation. But then look at Psalm 8. Talking about man. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. That means that all this rich resource that God has deposited into this planet that we live in, God did not just hold on to it and say it's mine. No, God gave it to man to have dominion over it. And we won't read any more out of Psalm 8. That, that's good enough for right now. So I, I, my prayer tonight is that this is challenging our, our thinking, causing us to go up higher. You know, we, we, we might have thought on one level, and, uh, uh, but, but when you find out how big God is and how good God is and how generous God is, that, that causes you to step it up, say, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Here I am. Uh, acting like my, my daddy got holes in his pockets and, and no money in the bank. But wait a minute. My, my daddy is, is, is the, the beyond rich. There's nothing that my daddy doesn't own. And if there was something that he didn't own, he could create it. Think about who we're dealing with here. The unstoppable God. Hallelujah. You know, the Bible talks about the unsearchable riches of Christ. Unsearchable riches of Christ. 
I mean, there is no end to the depth of who he is and, and, and what he's got and what he's done and what he can do. Hallelujah. Unsearchable. So I pray that this here would be a, a source of motivation for us to step up in, in our own lives, our, our way of thinking, where, where we would hit a wall and say, yep, not possible. That Then now we hit that same wall and say, hey, wall, you want a piece of me? You know, a new confidence, renewed confidence, not because of you or anything about you or anything about me, but the realization of who your daddy is and the fact that your daddy, he ain't cheap. He's generous. Hallelujah. And you are at home in his house. You can even help yourself to what's in the fridge. Come on, somebody. You are the son and the daughter of the most high God who created all this. He's not cheap. He's generous. So what should follow? We're not going to be cheap either. We're going to be generous. We're going to be givers. We're going to be those who allow the generosity of God to flow through us to minister to other people. Because here's the thing. Think about this. You may do something that's tangible, natural, physical, financial to somebody. But when the power of God flows through that very action of love and ministers to somebody, you have just sown what seemed to be a natural or financial seed, but you're reaping a spiritual harvest because something happened that went beyond blessing somebody or helping somebody. You impacted them very deeply with the very heart and character of who God is. Hallelujah. Come on, praise him tonight. That's a good place to unhook the train. We'll hook the train back up in a few weeks. Hallelujah. Go ahead, bow your heads with me tonight. Lord, we honor you. We are so grateful for your majesty, how great you are, how, how mighty you are, how splendid you are. And we stand in awe of you. And so, Lord, tonight, for anybody here who needs to know you personally, Father, we pray that this would be their night, their moment. They would not delay another, another second, another minute. Hallelujah. If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus, you... you you can't say with confidence like so many others here that, that your daddy's that wonderful, rich, and generous God that we've been talking about tonight. But you want to be able to say that. You know that he paid a big price. Talk about being generous. Talk about not being cheap. He sent Jesus, his very own son to pay the ultimate price that needed to be paid to save you and to save me. So this is for you tonight. And if you're here tonight and you have never, ever received Jesus as the Lord of your life, 